See if Rocky heard. All right, you guys gonna help me wake up Rocky? You wanna come sit up here so you can see the pictures? Yeah, come up here, buddy. All right. You can sit here. I promise I don't bite. Rocky doesn't bite either. All right, let's do it. You ready? One, two, three. Wake up, Rocky. Oh, he doesn't have to sit close if he doesn't want to. <laughs> Rocky's like, what? Raccoon. <laughs> Rocky, yeah. He says he knows what kind of bird this is. Do you know what kind of bird this is? I'll give you a hint. It nests in the cattails. And it's mostly black, but it has some red on its wings. Do you think you know what that is? Let's find this picture here. It is a, anyone know? Very good. Red winged blackbird. The red winged blackbird. She has that pretty sound. You get a whole tree full of them. It is so cool. Okay. Rocky says that lots of birds are coming. And he has another one he wants you to hear. You know what that is? What is that? Listen to it. Owl? Oh, even someone said the barred owl. Very good. Barred owl. Very good. And you know you can tell because they're like really spotted and stuff too. Okay. Let's see. You know what that is? Whoops. I'll give you a hint. He likes to get bugs out of the bark of the tree. A woodpecker? Woodpecker, yeah. Okay, yeah, <laughs> affiliated woodpecker. Okay, let's do a couple more here. Let's see. Okay, well, I'll bet you can get this one. This one's pretty easy. What is that? What is that? Leopard, yeah, they call it a raven, yeah, very good, that was easy. <laughs> okay, okay, one more here. You know, what's really cool is you can tell what the birds are by what they look like, but also by what they sound like. All right. What is that? and he opens them up really big and Thanksgiving time is An eagle. <laughs> we also eat it. Yeah. What do we eat on Thanksgiving? Yeah, eagle. No, we don't eat it. <laughs> no, what is this? What is this? Turkey. Turkey. There we go. We got turkey. Well, you know, God has been so great at giving us all different animals and they have different looks they have different sounds what if we were a jesus bird nah. or a christian nah. okay we're a christian but we call it we call it a jesus bird how would they know by listening to us we were a jesus bird what could we do or say or make sounds of what what does a christian sound like you know what a christian sounds like what were we just doing a few minutes ago when your dad was playing guitar? What were we doing? What were we doing when your dad was playing the guitar? Were we singing? Yeah, we were singing, and we were singing Christian songs and praise songs. That's one way that people will know that we're Christians, because we're praising him, and we're singing praise songs. What about how we talk to other people? Do we talk nice, or are we rude? We're nice, very good. So when we're nice to other people and we say good things, and what about praying? 
when we pray, when they see us pray. You know, I love it when I go into a restaurant and I see people bow before they eat. And my, my husband and I, we always do that. And um, we won't eat before we pray because we want to give God thanks for the food. So that's another way God, people can see that you are a Christian, by the things that we say and do. And so we could be a Jesus bird. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for all the wonderful birds that you've given us. Thank you for sending them back to us this spring and letting us enjoy their songs and their beauty. Please help us to remember that we are to be that beauty out in the world, that we are to share our love of you with others and have other people see that we are your bird. We belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Where's Rocky going? Rocky. All righty, okay, go sit down. You gonna help me out, Jariah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I wanted to mention a couple things. One, the teens, uh, David mentioned the 30 hour famine that they're going to be doing. They're having a bake sale to uh, raise funds uh, that will uh, be a part of, of uh, what they're raising for the 30-hour famine. Uh, I see a bunch of goodies over there. So, um, so after, after church, you can uh, support what they're doing by making your way over there to, to uh, contribute and uh, take something sweet off their hands. Uh, I wanted to make one more mention, too, of... Uh, uh, David mentioned again the um, inviting you guys over to write on the on the floor of the parsonage. Wanted to show this to you, as uh, you know, doing some of the demo work. Uh, you probably can't see it from back there. What's going on here? Um, but uh, on here, there's some writing. This was in a closet that that got torn out, and it was on the wall like like this somewhere in there. And um, it got peeled off, and on the other side of it, there was there was some more writing, and um, I wanted to share that with you because um, you know we talk quite often, especially as we're going through Exodus, but just uh, fairly often about the legacy of faith that we leave, and uh, that that we are to train and pass on our love for Christ and the truth of His Word and uh, the gospel. Um, to others who can pass it on to others and so on and so forth and uh, it's it's so important for us to do that and you know our voices when we do that when we take that job intentionally and purposefully our voices continue to speak long after we leave this earth and we continue to have a testimony for Christ even when our mouth isn't speaking where it can audibly be heard and uh, so um, this is an example of that. So this, I'll read to you what it says. So remember, this was uh, facing away. So when you, when you looked in the closet, you couldn't actually see the part that I'm about to read you. You had to take it off the wall in order for this to be read. It says, blessed are they that live among God. And then there's initials on it, JS, 1949. And... Um, I was reminded by uh, uh, Gary O'Neill, who actually uh, spent some time living in the house as a youngster, as his uh, uh, father pastored here and his wife or his mother uh, served here alongside of, of Pastor Jack and, and, uh, um, and had a, a, a big impact on this community, sharing the Word of God. And I was reminded by Gary as I was telling, sharing with them some of the work being done on the parsonage, and, and he said, you know, there's a... Uh, just a lot of ministry that's happened in that house over the, the years and decades. And uh, he was really excited just to hear that the church is investing in, in keeping that going. And um, so I, I want to make sure you take a look at this. This is super cool. But it just uh, it made me think that, you know, we have an opportunity before the floors get covered up here uh, to leave a little bit of our legacy behind as well. The cool thing about leaving it, I think, on the subfloor, these messages, is at some point, the floor's probably going to get replaced, right? Somewhere down the line. And uh, that'll get seen. 
perhaps a few times uh, for generations to come. So uh, I, it's really important to us. Uh, I know Jenny and I, and, and we really want every one of you to, to make it a point to stop by today and, and leave a scripture, a prayer, something on the, on the subfloor. Please don't write on the walls. Uh, <laughs> a lot of hard work went into those walls getting them painted this week, so appreciate keeping the words on the floor, but, um, but please make sure to do that. So, Exodus chapter 30, sound familiar? We're going to actually finish Exodus chapter 30 out this week, um, and uh, we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. I'd like to just just start off in prayer first. Fathers, we open your word. We ask that you would teach us from it to reveal yourself to us. Holy Spirit, be our our counselor and our interpreter of your words and uh, lead us into all truth. We're just thankful to be called your children and and we ask that you would teach us as such and help us to live rightly with you and to live in a way that that we are the light of Christ in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I put the title there, Taxes and Corporate Worship. Probably not uh, really truly the best description of where we're going today, but um, I did notice in, in, in my Bible, there's, you know, in your Bible there may be these little headings and in mine it says the census tax. And um, so I uh, just threw that in there. But, but we're going to look at a, verses 11 through 16. There's some really um, uh, good stuff in here and that I wanted to look at. We're not, gonna, we're not really going to dive in deeply in terms of, uh, of, of the different types of offerings and, and uh, uh, taxes or things that... that uh, that were happening surrounding the tabernacle and temple. Um, but we are going to look at some of the, the purposes and uh, the things that, that really translate from, from where the people were here to where we live today. And, uh, and I'll, I'll give you a clue. It really doesn't have uh, much at all to do with money. So um, let's, let's take a look at it. Start in verse 11 of chapter 30. The Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, which that word census actually more literally translates to a a kind of a little phrase that we use in English, head count. Take a head count of the people of Israel. Then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras. Half a shekel is an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from twenty years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. There are several things or five things actually that I want to look at from this passage that um, the Lord is is um, teaching his people about and I believe uh, is for us to be gleaning as well and um, the first one is that we are to uh, that his people were to recognize that they belonged to the Lord that that God is sovereign over them that he has the right to their lives essentially and this has to do with an understanding of the fear of the Lord um, who made us who judges us um, that, that really, uh, when we have no rights, kind of the, the, the New Testament of analogy of, of the, the, the clay saying to the potter, oh, why'd you make me this way? Right? The Lord has total sovereign authority 
over our lives, over every breath we take. And, um, and the idea that, that his people were to bring, an, uh, an, there's three words that are used for, for this monetary um, thing that they're to give. One is a ransom, the other one is an offering, and the, other, and the third one um, is an uh, atonement. And, um, and so uh, the, in the idea that they're to bring, in verse 12 there, when you take the census of the people, so they're to do a head count, then each of them as they're counted are going to give, it says, a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. So, so God, uh, now I'm not going to uh, uh, um, attempt to totally grasp the mind of God in some of these things here because there are, there are enough ambiguities for me, from, uh, from my perspective, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, tread where I feel confident treading. How about that? Um, but with the, this ransom for their lives, uh, the Lord gives a remembrance of how Egypt was judged uh, in reference to the plague. That, and so he says to give this ransom for their life so that um, they wouldn't suffer the pla- a plague like the Egyptians did. Now, the idea of ransom and then also atonement later, as this gets called, uh, this, remember I've, I've mentioned that Exodus is like the Old Testament gospel. It's the story of God bringing salvation to mankind. And so the, these themes that we see in Exodus get repeated later on in the New Testament with the coming of Christ. The idea of ransom and atonement. They come to light in the birth of Messiah, the coming of Messiah who pays for the sin of the world. And we'll get more into that in a minute. But So, so the first thing is that they belong to the Lord. He has total sovereign rights over their life. And so uh, the second one is this, that everyone was equal before the throne of God. Did you notice that, that rich or poor, it says they were to give the same amount. Irregardless of, of, of what their social standing was or any of that, they were to give the same amount. Which uh, brings us to, to that realization once again that, uh, that we'll, again, we'll go through these in a little more detail and look at some scriptures, but that, that as we all come before God, we're on, we're on a flat, flat ground before Him. Um, there are none of us that are elevated above another or below another. The third thing is this. Um, one of the purposes in what was happening here was a teaching of of corporate worship, that all of Israel participated in this. Now, remember, it's called a ransom, then it's called an offering, then it's called an atonement. And all three things are spoken of this one gift that's being brought, the half shekel, and, um, which was probably uh, silver. And, and as this gift is uh, being brought, it's... it's It's not only a ransom, but it's also an offering that's being given to God. And all of Israel is participating in this. Now, it specifically mentions those 20 years old and upward, but you can imagine there's a lot of, that represents a large population. And so really, it's all of Israel, even the kids who are going to in some way be impacted by this as all of this is happening. And so all of Israel is joining together in this as an act of worship, uh, as glory and giving glory and honor to God. The fourth thing is uh, to atone or ransom themselves. And uh, we mentioned that previously. So they're, they're, the idea of uh, they, they are sinful human beings. Now, the whole thing of atonement um, is woven through uh, the the temple or the tabernacle and and the the whole design of the tabernacle and God's relationship with His people we see this theme of atonement come up quite a lot and atonement in their lives would have been a pretty involved thing um, the idea of giving atonement it was it was the remembrance that God is holy and 
And we're not like him in that regard, in the, in the regard of being uh, perfect in every way. That we fall short of that. That is, people fall short of that, and so there is sin that must be given accounting of. And the fifth thing is this. There's a shared responsibility among God's people um, for His kingdom on earth. They participate together in this. Now, uh, this gift that is given towards the end of, of our passage there, it says that uh, God gives Moses the instruction that, it, uh, that as they give it, it's to be then used for service of the tent of meeting. That is the tabernacle. And uh, part of the structure of the tabernacle was actually made out of precious metal. Uh, several things in the tabernacle were made out of precious metal. And so these gifts um, would probably have, have even been put forward towards even the, the actual construction of the tabernacle. Um, but regardless of, of how it was specifically used there, God says this is to be used for um, the tabernacle and, and maintaining it or building it. And, and so there was the shared responsibility of God's people. Remember, nobody gave more, nobody gave less. The idea was that we're all on equal footing before God and, and we all participate together in furthering His kingdom here on earth as He's establishing it. Now these things uh, translate into where we are today. Um, they were true for them at this point in Exodus as God is teaching His people about these things. And it's true for us today. Um, that as, as God commands here a, a census to be taken, there's a, um, you may recall there's a, an accounting where, where uh, King David took a census of the people. And things didn't go so well. Um, in fact, what appears happened is David was attempting to take a census to really kind of, uh, to kind of take stock of, hey, how many guys do we have that can go win this thing? Like there was kind of a bit of a pride and a, a trust in the numbers that we have rather than having a full trust in the Lord. And um, that was a census that had gone bad and people suffered as a result of that. Um, here, God is saying that this, along with this census, there's a a, a ransom or atonement that is to be given that's a monetary gift uh, offering to the Lord um, for their lives, that they would be spared uh, the plagues of Egypt or plague like, the, like uh, happened in Egypt. And um, so the things that, that translate here, let's look at that first one that I had mentioned, that um, the recognition that, God, that we belong to God, that He has sovereign rule and reign over the lives of people. Psalm 24, 1 says, um, I, think we, I think we have it here. Yeah, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. You and I, we can't lay claim to any of it. Any, anything that, that we call, in earthly terms, our possession is really something borrowed or something lent to us from God. Uh, it belongs to Him. And so while, while, we, um, while we often do struggle in our human nature, we will struggle with, with things uh, like, God, why would you take that from me? Or, or jealousy of others that we don't have what others have, or whatever from an earthly perspective. The reality is, God gives according to His own desires and His will. Why He does that? Uh, we probably largely will, never, will not understand, especially this side of heaven, and maybe never. I don't know. But it is according to His desires, His plan, His will that He does such. Um, the same is, is uh, spoken of in terms of how God gives gifts to, uh, to us within the body of Christ, that those gifts are to be utilized for the building up of the body of Christ. Why does He give certain people certain gifts? Uh, because He wants to. That's the short answer, and because he has the right to. He has that sole place of deciding what is best for his family and gives accordingly. Psalm 24.1 then reminds us that everything belongs to him. That includes us. 
In fact, in Exodus chapter 9, uh, when Moses is talking to Pharaoh, he, he, he reminds Pharaoh of this, that, that Pharaoh would gain this understanding through the Lord's judgment and through the way the Lord works uh, in Egypt, that Pharaoh would come to an understanding that it all belongs to the Lord. Now that obviously is a, a really a foundation, I think, for us coming to an understanding of our own sinfulness, our own need for a Savior, why Christ's coming was so important, uh, Him giving His life uh, as a ransom for us on the cross. Why that is so important is first to understand God's in charge, and, and we all report to Him. We all will give an account to Him. And none of us will have any sort of case we can bring before him uh, about us being justified uh, in ourselves. But that we are totally in a place of uh, 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 vulnerability before him and his judgment. So the second thing then is that we are all on equal ground before God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So one of, really at a foundational understanding of us being equal before God is that we are all made in the image of God. Male and female, we are all made in the image of God. His, his stamp is on us. His likeness is upon us. We represent Him and reflect His glory to creation. It's not like... Um, now, we can obviously live in such a way that we give a better representation of Him or a worse representation of Him, but nonetheless, we are, each of us have a likeness to Him and none of us can say, well, I'm more like God than you are in that, in that respect. We are all created in the image of God. Now, the second thing in the way that we are all equal we find in Romans chapter 3. There's a couple ways. And that is that we are also all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. So we've been created in the likeness of God, and yet like Adam and like Eve, we have also walked in a way of rebellion against God. Every one of us in our own heart has rejected God, has betrayed Him. In fact, Romans chapter 3, uh, 22 and 23, in the middle there, you see, uh, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the larger passage here is, is so valuable to us and so cherished by us because verse 22, while the end of verse 22 and verse 23 bring condemnation, the reminder of our guilt and God's wrath that we deserve, the larger passage gives us such, a, such hope and thankfulness because there is something else that's also true about us being equal before God, and that is that just as we're all created in the likeness of God and we all have fallen short of the glory of God, we all are given opportunity to be saved by Him to have His righteousness applied to us because we don't have righteousness of our own to bring. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, there's no distinction. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned against Him. But there's no distinction in verse 24 either. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That just as we all 
come before God, sinners deserving His wrath, we also may come to the cross to receive His grace and forgiveness of our sin. Let's look at the the third uh, thing here with a little more sort of a New Testament context here. Faith and worship really are as much corporate as it is private. Um, it is it is one thing that just becomes more apparent to me the further I the more I study scripture the the more one thing becomes very loud and clear and really it's on display throughout the old testament and that is that your faith is not your own what i mean by that is there is a sense in which you and only you are held accountable for your sin that you and only you can be saved by your faith in him but your Faith is not only private. In fact, as we look at Scripture, there is a a strong corporate aspect to our walk with God. As we look at uh, even in Exodus here, as things are being laid out for Israel, it it is almost always what we're seeing laid out by commands from God are directed at the whole of God's people. That they are to walk with Him Together. So there's personal responsibility in that, right? Each person has to make a decision. I'm going to follow him. But then together they follow him. Um, the New Testament echoes this. This corporate nature to our worship and to our faith. Uh, when we look in Acts and we begin to see the, the early church uh, budding and growing and sharing the Gospel and miracles happening and people serving one another we see this corporate nature really blossoming of our faith in Christ. So it's not me and Jesus in the great outdoors. I mean, you and Jesus should go enjoy the great outdoors uh, together. That's a wonderful way to do it. But it's not just you and Jesus in the great outdoors. It's all of us together as the family of God, believers in Jesus Christ. We're the family of God. And so we have a responsibility in our serving God, in our worship of God, that it, it is, part, is connected to the whole of what God is doing in the larger body of Christ. In Psalm 106, verse 1, it starts out, so these, this is the first and the last uh, verses of uh, Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And then verse 48 closes with, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. So this this Psalm 106, it's not just uh, one guy writing out this as a a praise to God, but it's this recognition that, that, hey, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Now in the Old Testament, when we see Israel, that is God's people. As we get to the New Testament, there's this revelation that God's people are those who who follow Him by faith, who trust Him by faith. So there's a sense in which the the, the language changes, uh, not, not, not totally. There are situations where we can't just take Israel out of the, 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 the name Israel out of the Old Testament and apply the New Testament church to it. There, we have to kind of make sure we're staying in context. But in the sense of faith, the faith family of God, in the Old Testament there's Israel representing the faith family of God. In the New Testament, the church, those who believe in Jesus Christ, who are the inheritors of the promise of Abraham by faith. And so, in, in Psalm here where we see, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. This is a corporate worship. And let all the people say amen. Let all the people be in unity as they say amen, God. Praise to you. So there is a, so worship then and faith are a, they are private and that we do have private responsibility in that. But it, it, it cannot be disconnected from the responsibility we have one to another in the body of Christ. And let's look at the fourth thing. Atonement for sin. Uh, also, the word ransom was used uh, in, in that passage in Exodus here. 
And this, this theme flows throughout, especially in the discussion of, of what happens in the tabernacle and the courtyard. The atoning for sin. Well, atonement for sin uh, is something that we all require. For just as we looked at passage in Romans, just as we have all sinned, that we all may receive the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ by faith, but that comes at a cost. Uh, that cost is to our Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. The prophet Isaiah, uh, God gave the prophet Isaiah uh, um, some revelation of what was to come. And um, in, in Isaiah chapter 53, even though Christ had not yet been born on this earth, um, we had not yet gotten to where sort of Matthew's gospel starts out, um, yet we have this foretelling of the Messiah coming. And Isaiah chapter 53 gives a description of him and his purpose. And so we find, really, in Isaiah 53, a description of Jesus himself and what he would come to do. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Really, verse 6 there is captured by what we read in Romans chapter 3. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered uh, that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of the soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous." and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Our sin need paid, needed paid for. Our lives needed ransomed because we as, as rebellious sinners, we stand in the way of God's judgment and wrath. And the only way out of that is for us to be bought out of that. To have us have our sins atoned for. To, to be paid for. And it was Jesus Christ who came and gave His life for us. Who took upon our punishment so that we could be purchased out of the wake of God's wrath and judgment. We have so much to be thankful for that God would send His Son to take our place on the cross, to take the judgment that was ours upon Himself. 
In fact, John chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, as Jesus explains to Nicodemus what God is doing here. Jesus says this, and Moses and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the, must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now that might sound strange, but when you think about the uh, the reference that Jesus makes um, that uh, with Moses and lifting up the serpent, um, that the, there was a punishment being brought upon God's people, a judgment being brought upon God's people as after, they, after he brought them out of Egypt. And their only way out of that judgment was to look at the serpent on a pole that that Moses had. And it was, it, was a, a, um, it was an act of faith that God can save me. So God gave the instruction, if you look at the serpent on the pole, then, then you will be saved. And as that serpent on the pole was lifted up with Moses, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Only the Son of Man must be lifted up. The language Jesus uses here is representative of, the, of what really happened, that he was lifted up on the cross that he hung on the cross for payment for sins, that those who look to him in, a, in, in sort of a figurative way here, by faith that we, as we look to him and trust in his sacrifice, that we are saved. And verse 16 then says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now 1 Timothy chapter 2 um, which I, I don't have up here for you to, to uh, follow along with me. But First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. I want to read that to you. It says, First of all, then, I urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all, and God desires that all would be ransomed by his sacrifice by believing in him. The well, fifth thing is this. We all, as the people of God, believers in Jesus Christ, have a shared responsibility in the advancement of God's kingdom and the well-being of the body of Christ, the family of God. Um, there are, like you can't, you can't say, well... Uh, I'm not. I'm not a deacon, or I'm not a pastor, or I'm not on. You know, I'm not serving on the board, or whatever. We can't have excuses like that for why we're not engaged in advancing the kingdom of God along with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a calling to work towards the furthering of the kingdom of God together. And whatever our role is in that, however God has gifted us or equipped us to be able to do that. That's what we ought to do. That the Holy Spirit would carry us along in working that out together. Each individually taking responsibility for our part of that. Just as God had all of Israel come together to, to uh, complete the work of the tabernacle, that each person had a part to play. Now some of them were hands-on with the construction of it. Uh, probably some of them were overseeing some of the construction where maybe they didn't touch a whole lot, but they certainly made sure things came, came together. Um, Moses' role wasn't necessarily to fashion the gold, but his role was to be able to relay the plans, the building plans. There were others who would give the gold, give the silver, give the precious metals that would be fashioned then into the parts that went into the tabernacle. All of Israel had some part to play in the tabernacle being built. And so it is in the kingdom of God that as Jesus gives this, this calling that we're to uh, 
we're to continue to make disciples of all nations, that we're continue to share the gospel message with others, that we're continue to work towards the, the building up of the body of Christ, we each have a role to play. Ephesians chapter 4, um, I'd like you to, to turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. It's kind of where we're going to wrap up here this morning. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul emphasizes this oneness of the body of Christ. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each one of us are... God put you here for a reason. You know, we, we, we say that quite often, like everything happens for a reason or I'm here for a reason. It's true. That's really true. Um, it helps us be reminded that God's in control, but there's a reality to that. You are here for a reason. You are a part of the body of Christ for a reason. You have a way of serving the body of Christ that builds it up into Christ's likeness, that encourages other believers in their walk with God to become more like Jesus, and that advances the gospel message in our community, in our families, in our world. We live uh, right now in, in days where... Um, Men are set against others. One man's set against another. One nation set against another. It, it, it's just, it's, and it's not, uh, you know, as we near the coming of our Savior, uh, that's going to intensify. Um, man against man, brother against brother, parents against children. Jesus kind of reminded that that's uh, the gospel brings, uh, oftentimes, while it brings peace between. God and man and, and peace between believers, it also causes divisions. We see how, how the Pharisees were just gnashing teeth uh, at Jesus, just vehemently against him. So the gospel brings also division. And we live in times where we see, um, we see the divisiveness of sin being worked out in so many ways. But the church is called to persevere in faith and in unity. And the perseverance of the church in the unity of our faith in Christ Jesus stands out in stark contrast to a world that's fighting over the scraps. One, the thing that binds us together is our common thankfulness for what God has done for us. We all stand on equal footing. Before God, guilty. And yet we all also can stand on equal footing, forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ, a part of his family. And so we as the church, we have this common faith, this common hope. In fact, Ephesians says it, says it this way, just to kind of sum it up. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. 
let these truths bind us together as the people of God for, for times that are going to be trying and challenging and for the times where people are going to be set against others and fighting over the stuff of earth. But we've been given the stuff of heaven. We have a hope that is far above the stuff we can grab here on our way out. So let us be persevering in the unity and hope and thankfulness that we have that we are called by the name of of Christ, Christian, the people of God. Father, we thank you for this great and precious gift that you have given us, that you have called us together as the body of Christ to represent you here on earth. And Lord, let us do that in a way that, that shows your great love at work. Lord, we're sinners. We've, we've lear- spent most, much of our lives learning how to be sinners. And Lord, now that we are called by your name, the people of God, because of our faith in Christ, Lord, let us now learn a new way the way of love, that the love of God would be worked out through us in our relationships with one another, Lord, in the way we live our lives and the words that we speak, that the world may see what you are like, that the world may be called to repentance and faith in you, that they would join the family of God, that they would know the peace of God, that they would know the great love of God and the hope that we share together. Lord, we thank you, and we pray that you would just strengthen us for, for, um, for the times we live in, Lord, that, that we would not despair, and nor would we get lazy in, Lord, being the, being the church, being your family, that we would be a light in this dark world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to remind you, church, of uh, potluck downstairs. Also, if you're not sticking around for potluck, I still want to ask you to come by the house um, so you can just go there after, after the worship service. Um, but uh, to write some scripture or prayer on the, on the floor there. And uh, just think how cool that is. 73 years ago, J.S., I don't know who J.S. is. John Stein assured us it wasn't him. Which was a little suspect, though, because it looked, doesn't that look like Stein, Harrison, Idaho? But uh, 73 years ago, somebody, J.S., uh, perhaps we will uh, meet back up again in heaven and uh, figure out who this guy is. But somebody left a mark to remind us today to continue to walk with God. So what marks will you leave, church? Um, today, hopefully on the floor, and otherwise in your life, to remind others who come after you to stay in the fight, to keep persevering in faith, and to walk with Him all their days. Lord, bless and keep you, church. Let me pray for us so that uh, those of you who are going to potluck, uh, uh, this will be our thanksgiving for that. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us. We thank you for the ways that you have blessed us in so many ways, and we thank you for the faith of those who have come before us that continue to speak to us, to remind us of all the good things that you have given us and the reasons we have to continue to stay in there and believe in you, to trust in you, to walk with you, uh, with all of who we are. Uh, Lord, we we thank you for whoever J.S. is and his reminder to us. We thank you for, Lord, uh, your word that continues to speak these truths to us and remind us of your faithfulness throughout all generations. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your provision for us today. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the food you've provided for us and we, we are just so grateful for the many ways you care for your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.